I evaluate all the time now that Batman uh, begins and the Dark Knight are so popular and so many people love them. You, it's, you're hard pressed to find somebody who hates those films. And so I evaluate all the time. Am I? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Why do I like these films? And so I and I look at them. It's like yes, these are really good films. And so there's the part of me that goes, oh, I have hope for for humanity. All these people who watch these reality TV shows, maybe they're not so. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's not so bad after all. <laughs> maybe they do have a little bit of sense in there somewhere. <laughs> This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon. Dodge this. I am the Father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 150 of the Movie Bite Podcast. Guys, we made it. Episode 150, the big 150. We're laying Movie Bite down to rest. Movie Bite was a show where we talked about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers and so much more. I'm TJ, your suave and sophisticated host, and joining me today is the Russian spy, Joe Darnell. I saw that coming. You did? Ouch. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, where's my Russian accent tonight? I don't know. Oh. You're just you're too flummoxed by the ending of Movie Bite, I think, that you just don't know what to do with yourself. I like to think I'm undercover as oh. Napoleon Solo. Am I doing a good job? No, 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 no. See, I'm the suave and stuff. I'm, I'm Napoleon Solo. I told you, you're the Russian dude. Mm. I'm going to kill you and, and steal your identity, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a little too suave you, and sophisticated You look a lot like you. Clark Kent, and that's, that's my, you know, that's, right. that's how I roll. <laughs> well, um, also, I felt like it, Joe, you and I both felt like it wouldn't be right to have the last episode of Movie Bite no, without the other host of Movie Bite. Joining us tonight is our very own Marty McFly. It is Chad Hopkins. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Chad? I am doing great. How about you guys? Doing well. I'm doing pretty well. Thank you, man. Good to have you. It's good to have you back on the show. It's just like old times. This is just like 1985 all over again. I'm always glad to be back on the show. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it just wouldn't be right. I mean, this is how I introduced you to the show is with the power of love, which just seems appropriate. Of course. Very appropriate. Uh, those were the days. Episode 50, Chad, is when you joined us. Yes, it was quite a long time ago. We're lo- looking through the history of the show. Uh, it was like, wow, I, I was there for a listener of that one. I remember when they did the live shows and I was sitting there commenting the whole time they were recording. And then yes. <laughs> episode 50, I was a host. And uh, it was, it was, this has just been a great ride. Yeah, and you were you were with us. I don't know if you were with us for exactly fifty episodes because you had you know some stuff come up occasionally, and we'd have Joe sub for you. That that was when Joe was dead, but he would occasionally come back to life and and he would sub <laughs> right. for you. But it, it was you were on ten, you know you were a an official host of Movie Bite for fifty episodes of the show. And wow. um, because the show is ending, if you will look on moviebyte dot com slash mb podcast, you will see that you are listed as a host of Movie Bite. I've I put you back on there so that you can live on in perpetuity. We don't plan to make the website go away. The shows will be there, and you're you're listed as a host on the show. So 
Welcome back. I appreciate Chad. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. So we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, family reunion. We got a lot to go through. Let's see here. Where should we begin? Start with the end. This maybe yes. this is the the time to say it. And the guys this lived the happily end. ever after. Is this the music? Is this going to turn into a musical? Yes. Are you going to break out in song? <laughs> yes, but I have a surprise coming up for this song because it's it's the end, but it's not exactly the end. We have we have more coming. So um, here we go. <laughs> I, Wait, I is this a, a Quentin Tarantino film? Uh, tell me, you recognize this music? Even though I hate the movie, I recognize the music. Well, it's well, which movie is it from? From? TJ, little pop quiz here. Oh, see, I don't know that. Oh, what? come on! I guess the first one. I don't know. No, no this is. Are from we talking Rocky about Karate Kid? Of course, Rocky Three. Okay, I, how would I know that? <laughs> It's only a classic. Yeah. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose you love the Rocky movies, I suppose. I, I really like the first one. The rest of them I enjoy. I wouldn't call them as as good as the first one, for sure. Okay. okay. Uh, we need to add those to the movies that we're not going to get around to. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly not. <laughs> uh, so, Joe, you wanted to go through kind of our least favorite and most favorite films that we've reviewed on the Movie Byte podcast, and we each have our picks um, so you wanted to do this. I, I know this is not the order that's it's in the show outline, but I've been doing a lot of talking. So why don't you kind of lead that? Okay. There? Okay. So yes, we have 150 episodes under the belt and we managed to review more than 150 movies in that time. Didn't we? Because a few oh, of yeah. the episodes were double features for sure. Yes. And then there were a few written reviews on the website for films we didn't feel like deserved a whole podcast. So I was combing through both collections at moviebyte.com. And honestly, a lot of the of my feelings towards a, a review that we had on the podcast had a lot to do with the quality of the films. Of I didn't go back and listen to 149 episodes to identify my favorite episodes of our podcast, but I can tell you which movies excited me the most and right. the ones that I keep returning to. So yeah, here are the ones I keep returning to. Personal bias here. Um, this film predates the beginning of Movie Bite, but it's my number one. It's Tron Legacy. Mm, mm-hmm. If I can find any nerds to watch that with me uh, on a casual weekend, yeah, that's my top pick. And yeah, it's for reasons. Uh, we've got Jeff Bridges. <laughs> we've got, um, uh, you know, just an all in all decent story. They were toying with uh, CGI in ways that we hadn't seen well executed before. And you could argue we're still not well executed, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's very nostalgic. And I really appreciate the nostalgia. And we got to talk about that in the, the episode. What was it? On 33. Movie Bite? Thank episode you. 33. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Tron Legacy a lot, too. And, you, you know, it may have predated the podcast, but we certainly talked about it anyway. Um, yeah, and uh, it's certainly got an outstanding soundtrack as well. Oh, man, I love that soundtrack. I, I write code with that soundtrack all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I must listen to it every other day or so. It's, it's one of my favorites as well. I, I don't use it for playlists, but I'll listen to that soundtrack just from beginning to end. I've added in the, um, the Journey track, and uh, yeah, because that was something you hear in Flynn's Arcade. And so mm, mm. I've made my own little cut to add that in there. Okay, so next I have the Guardians of the Galaxy because An excellent that choice, is, sir. Thank you. Uh, I I rank this one very highly. It's a movie I've already shared with the kids, my wife, my family, my friends. Uh, I've probably watched it five or six times now, and yeah, it's it's uh, got to be one of my new favorites. Just 
a film I'll probably watch at least once a year. What, what would y'all say? Is, oh, that, yeah. is that how y'all feel about For the film? Sure. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. And I'll probably watch it more than once a year. I, I don't tend to restrict <laughs> myself. <laughs> okay, good, good. And yeah, I'm not crazy. I, I feel like that's yes, a you trending are. film. No, okay. I'm a, a good kind of crazy. Yeah. So we talked about that on episode 100 of the Movie Bite podcast. Excellent. Then we had, well, that, that just has a great ring to it. Episode mm-hmm. 100. <laughs> then we have the Lego movie and it was hilarious. Uh, if y'all notice anything, uh, I'm trending towards very geeky movies and <laughs> I didn't really mean to do that, but, uh, the Lego movie, it's hilarious guys. And I love watching this one with the kids. And, uh, it kind of makes me wish I could go back and enjoy Legos that much more having Spaceship. seen the film as a child again. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's really playful. What, do you think we should un- unleash the craggle? Maybe uh, we should. Not? Wait, wait, wait. No, around why, here somewhere. Why? Where? <laughs> Where would we re- release a craggle? Dude? I, I don't know. We want to freeze the movie by podcast in time. Oh. <laughs> but this is, Joe, this was episode 79. This is when you were dead. Yes, but I still enjoyed listening to that episode. I, you I were on this episode. Yes. I was on that episode, yes. <laughs> All right. You know, the Lego movie, I actually saw in uh, theaters four times, I think. It was good. It was very good. Yeah, I watched it I twice, agree. yeah. Pretty rare. And then, um, of course, uh, Worthy mentions films that I still love, um, though they're, uh, they're just not as sensational as the other three. I feel strongly about I feel strongly about The Giver and Wreck-It Ralph. I still rank those very highly. If you wanted to sit down and watch a movie with me, I'd pick either one of those. I enjoyed The Giver a lot more than people gave it credit for. Um, yeah, I still do. I read the book after watching the film. I think it was great. Yeah, and of course, Reggett Ralph. Great, great, uh, great uh, movie. Loved it. Okay, yep, Chad. So those are my picks. What are your picks, Chad? Okay, so this was less of a favorite movies that we reviewed and more of a, I have a special attachment to this episode for one reason or another. Sure. Um, so the first I have mentioned is actually long before I became uh, a host was the Back to the Future episode. I already mentioned it uh, <laughs> earlier. It I, I was sitting there on my computer listening to you guys record it live. I was interacting. I was disagreeing with TJ as per usual. <laughs> of course. Um, always. I mean, it, it was a good time. Um, and I don't know if this, uh, I don't know if everybody knows this. I didn't find you guys. Joe actually found me. Um, my first contact with the Movie Bike podcast was when y'all posted my review to the Born Legacies film mm. soundtrack. Um, I, I don't know if I knew this. Yeah, Joe Joe found it somehow and posted it, and I was like, hey, I'll listen to these guys talk about movies. And that's how it began. Mm. Um, and then, of course, next up, I have my my first episode as a host was our review of World War Z and White House Down, which were both pretty good films. Um, yeah, and well, then, of course... World War Z might have been a little better. In res- yeah, in retrospect, I, I don't remember what I said then. I don't remember what I said last week, but I, I think <laughs> from my vantage point now, I like World War Z better than White House Down. And then, uh, of course, The Way Way Back was my favorite mm. movie to come out that year. Um, now, I, that was a great episode. Right, you had to twist my arm to get me to see that. And I, I did. I, I and love you, you for it. It was a great film. <laughs> You're welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> it's been too long since I've watched it. So I'm, I'm going to have to pop that Blu-ray in sometime soon. Yes, yes. Um, Thor's, uh, Thor The Dark World. I mostly have that mentioned because it's probably my favorite episode title. Yes, uh, it is one of mine too. <laughs> Thor score and seven. <laughs> yes, I love that. That may be our fa- my favorite episode title. And, uh, okay, we've got Frozen, which was a, a different episode because TJ, you were actually dead for this episode and it was just Joe and me talking about it. Really? And so, yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. Uh, 
So we had a good time talking about that. I've also got the Lego movie mentioned, uh, TJ spamming the word spaceship throughout. Yes. Um, <laughs> spaceship. Spaceship. <laughs> um, Captain America, the winter soldier, which we talked about with fizz and had a good time. Yes. Yes. Um, edge of tomorrow, which is a great time travel film. If you and, can call it a time travel film, um, it has elements. Yes. Um, it's and it's, it's just a great movie all the way through. Mm hmm. And then the last two I have mentioned are older films, Galaxy Quest, which I don't know if I'd ever have watched if you hadn't made me watch it, TJ, and I thank you for it, which is so much oh, fun. I need to watch that again soon, too. This is this is right after you left the show and you came back to review it, I believe. Yeah, uh, I think that was actually the episode where I announced uh, that I was leaving the show. I don't remember for sure. Oh, maybe that's what it was. I get confused. Um, and then the Princess Bride episode where we just... We got together again, and we were a bunch of adults talking like children, <laughs> quoting this old movie and having a great time. Yeah, that was only uh, 11 episodes ago. Yeah, wow. Uh, seems like such a long time ago as we reminisce about the movie by podcast. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes, uh, very good You know, all things considered, we've reviewed a lot more movies that we weren't ecstatic about than the ones that we loved. And I just want to say that, uh, guys... All of you listeners out there, that is a show of our dedication for you guys. We were reporting on the movies <laughs> so that we could spare you any way we can. We love you. We did this with blood, sweat, and tears and, and a lot of tears as we, we dealt with a lot of movies we felt like lampooning or just not very strongly about. There were a few movies here and there. I don't even remember what they are off the top of my head, but I remember occasionally I would tell you, Joe, or you, Chad, uh, depending on who the host was at the time, I'd be like, we can't do this. I can't do this. We got to do something else. <laughs> well, like, you know, on your list, TJ, you brought up two, uh, two films. I feel like uh, I, I just can't wait to hear your comment about these. These were films that yeah, I kind of like, yeah, in hindsight, I'm so glad that we covered them, but I have no desire to return to them. Yeah. The yeah. ones at the bottom of your, of your list there. There was one movie that was actually so bad that I slept through our podcast. Remember that, TJ? Uh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, the, the Moral Instruments. Oh, that's right. I suffered through that movie, and it was so bad. And then I accidentally slept <laughs> through the podcast, so you had to record it yourself. <laughs> I remember that now. I've forgotten that there is an episode of Movie Bite. I didn't even remember which one. There is an episode of Movie Bite where I'm the only one on the show because you like you were like a student, a college student, and you were like yeah. doing your thing and whatever. <laughs> I just oh. I just assumed you were an unreliable kid. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, very good picks, Chad. Um, it is my turn for picks. Um, I loved having Clark on the show for the first time. Uh, that's the first time, I believe, it was episode 14, the first time I had a guest on at all, maybe, and certainly the first time without somebody kind of backing me up, and I was very nervous about podcasting in general at the time, and Clark was so easy to have on the show, and I, it started, so, I mean, I'm good friends with him now on online, and uh, you know he's been on the show a lot, he, he filled in guest hosting for several episodes while you were gone, Joe. So, um, he was, it was great to have him and I loved Argo. I really loved Argo. I honestly don't remember much else about that episode, except that I loved Argo and I loved having Chad on the show. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Clark on the show. <laughs> um, good pick. Yes. So then we talked about star Wars with Lindsay Morgan. Um, and boy, I listened to a little, little bit of that episode as I was going through these picks and the auto audio quality just was awful. I don't know yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> well, what was going on with that episode? It seemed like the the dark side was against us or something. Well, crazy. yeah, I, I think at the time I did not have good professional uh, monitoring environment at all. I didn't have good studio headphones. I didn't have any good speakers. And so I just really couldn't tell for sure. I couldn't get the audio just right without those things. So uh, gotcha. anyway, the show's audio is much better now. But yes, yeah, Star Wars, loved reviewing Star Wars. Um, 
And then uh, the Back to the Future trilogy, obviously, uh, we talked about that on episode 32, and Chad was, uh, that was at the time we were experimenting with uh, with broadcasting live, and we had like two or three listeners at the most at the time <laughs> <laughs> and that would listen live, and they would participate in the chat room. And Chad, you were, you were there in the chat room uh, wishing was. you could say things. <laughs> <laughs> I was, because I still disagree with you, TJ. Oh, so you still think that episode, th- or that Star Wars, uh, Star Wars, that Back to the Future 3 is better than Back to the Future 2? I do. Ah, you fully. are so wrong. You are so wrong, sir. <laughs> if I recall, Joe record, agrees with me. He does. Yes, he does. Okay, good, good. But good. for the record, Chad is wrong. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how do those things work, Joe? <laughs> it's a debate for another day. Okay. Okay. Well, I still, I still say that the first film is the best, the second film is the second best, and the third film is the uh, not as good. But that's yeah. just my opinion. I like, uh, I like the first two equally. Okay, I really enjoyed having one of my podcasting heroes on the show, Dan Benjamin. We talked about The Wrath of Khan that was on episode 42. He was a handful. He's a type A personality, and Mm. I was very young in my ability to host a show, but um, it was great having him on the show. I just, it was, it was a, uh, a defining moment for me, you might say. (laughs) Mm. So, uh, rubbing shoulders with the greats. (laughs) Um, Fizz joined us for the first time on episode 52 to punch Michael Bay in the head. Um, and that was our, (laughs) that was our review of, um, what was that film called? Pacific Rim. Um, and that was just me and Fizz. And that was the first time he'd been on the show. And, uh, that was great. That was fantastic. Um, and so still good friends with him, uh, may have some more things coming with him. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, episode 115, our first and only bonus episode where, where we evaluated the Force Awakens teaser trailer. That was a lot of fun. We had Clark on to do that. Um, and then I have two favorite show titles in the entire series. I, I, I clicked through and looked at all the show titles for all the episodes, and the two that stood out to me where we just really knocked those show titles out of the park were uh, the most recent was two episodes ago, episode 148, Drunk Driving in a Teleporter. That was fantastic. Thank you for that, Joe. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> and then uh, episode 68, Thor Score and Seven. I believe Fizz was the one that said those words. Am I, no, I, I was the one who said was it. Was it you? Was it you? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Don't steal to. my credit Okay, from yeah, it was you. No wonder you like that show title. I, uh, anyway, um, that's right. I remember that now. You said that. So Thor Score and Seven. It was great. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that that had to be the show title when I heard it. Uh, my, my rule over the years has been that the, the, the words for the show title generally have to be spoken. I might, I might fix it a little bit, but they generally have to be spoken in the show at some point. Mm-hmm. That has been my rules for the show title. So I think mm. we've done pretty well. Um, all right. The only movies I truly hated, as far as I can remember, uh, were Noah and The Bourne Legacy. Um, I just I hated those films with a fiery burning passion. I would have put Cloud Atlas on this list, but it appears we did not have a podcast episode where we talked about that. I couldn't yeah, I find it. We talked a lot anyway. about it in person, but it, yeah, it was off the air. It, it, it might be that we talked about it, but there was not a show that like that was the review. So um, anyway, uh, those were my picks. Mm, good lists. Nice, very good. All right, Chad. Um, we want to get from you a top three movie soundtrack recommendations from movies reviewed on the Movie Byte podcast or site. Go. Okay, so the way I I came up with this list is I just scrolled through the entire history of the show, and I was like, okay, I like that score, I like that score, I like that score. And so I've got this list of like 20 scores, and Mm. so I had to fudge the top three rule just a little bit, and so I have, (laughs) I actually have a top five. I expected nothing less from you. 
<laughs> Beyond that, I have two top fives. Uh, so the first, <laughs> let me explain. The first top five is movies, new movies that we reviewed fresh from the theater. Um, and these, these are my top fives for those. I think I have How to Train Your Dragon 2 first. Uh, John Powell's score for that is just top of the line. Um, Interstellar by Hans Zimmer. It's, it's just a great listening experience, depending on what you're doing. Um, it may not be a good working soundtrack, but if you just want to like sit in the room or if you're like going to bed, I don't know. It's, it's just fabulous to listen to. I have to admit, Chad, that I've come to like Interstellar soundtrack a little more now that I've just listened to it on its own and detached it from the movie. It's still Mm going to be tainted by the movie for me, but yeah, Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. I mean, it's, it's very loud. The mixing's not the greatest Mm. in the film, Um, but it's, very the scope of it is very big and Hans Zimmer is always very ambitious with what he does and I think he hit hit it out of the park with this one. Yes. Yeah. Next up I've got uh Michael Giacchino's recent score for Inside Out. It's playful, it's fun, mm. it fits the tone good of the choice. movie. It's it's got all the great qualities of a good animation soundtrack uh with Michael Giacchino's own flair to it. Mm-hmm. Next up, the Lego movie, uh by Mark Mothersbaugh. Um not a composer name you hear very often, but nope. it 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 fits the film very well. It's a lot of fun. It's got the same sort of vibe as the Wreck-It Ralph score. Um, yeah, it does. Although and the best thing from that score is not part of the score. It's the is, is it Tegan something or other? Everything uh, Sarah is awesome. and Tegan or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is awesome. Yes. about that movie and that score. Yes. Um, and then last up on this top five is the Book Thief by John Williams. Mm, that, very good that, choice. That main theme is so beautiful, and the the movie is great. Uh, and oh, it's just so good. Um, so that's a top five of new movies that came out for the show. This list is a top five for classic movies or movies that came out pre movie bite. And, uh, I had to include these. So first up star Wars. I don't think, Fantastic. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. No. Yeah. If you had included one. that in the first list, it would have been kind of like cheating. Yeah. That, that's exactly my mindset. I will offer this caveat, Chad, that I would say The Empire Strikes Back. That's fair. Fair, fair. Um, next up, I've got Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Yes, I like that soundtrack, but it's a little too similar in places to Star Wars for me. I feel like John Williams was repeating himself a little bit. Eh, but then can... I, I really I really like James Horner, and he repeats himself much more than John Williams. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, next up, I've got Tron Legacy. Mm, fantastic. Next, Hook, also by John Williams. Mm, interesting. It's a good choice. There are some tracks in there that are so playful and imaginative. Uh, right, and I think the Hook main theme is one of my top five main themes of all time. It, it's oh, yeah. it's fun, it's so swashbuckling and adventurous. I can't and quite bring it to the tip of my brain here. It doesn't make you think of Hook himself, but it is throughout the film, it's it's peppered throughout the film with Hook himself. And mm. it's it's sort of like a uh, sort of a, a jelly good bad guy theme. You know, hmm. it's, just, it's sort of an upbeat for a bad guy. It's like, we're celebrating the villain. Mm-hmm. I'll, have to, I'll have to see if it's on Spotify. Yeah. And then uh, last up for this list, I have to put Back to the Future. Of um, course. Of course. And but which Back one, to the Future soundtrack? The first one. The first one, um, yeah. The, the, the third one has a very fun Western soundtrack. The main theme for that one's a lot of fun, too. But Back to the Future, um, I actually recently went to a concert where the Houston Symphony Orchestra played the score for the film live alongside the movie. And it was one of the coolest experiences 
ever. It's it's so much fun. The music is so good. Alan Silvestri is a great composer. He's such a fantastic and composer. So it was exactly. like watching and a silent picture. Yeah, it was <laughs> a silent picture, but the com- the conductor had a uh, screen in front of him that showed beats and when he was supposed to cue certain instrument sections and when the music was supposed to line up with the movie exactly. So and, I assume oh, that was a pretty awesome experience. Oh, it was so awesome. Cool. And so that's my classic top five. Nice. Um, yeah, and I, I like this list for the most part. And, and certainly Back to the Future, Alan Silvestri. It's amazing to me about how Back to the Future is so much a product of its, ti- of its time, and yet it's so timeless. And the same really exactly. is true for the soundtrack. Like, because you do have the, you know, the, I, I know The Power of Love isn't, like, technically the soundtrack. It's not written by Alan Silvestri, but it still works. And then Alan Silvestri stuff just works so well. And, I mean, the, the film is just so timeless. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good, very good lists, uh, Chad. Even right. if you exceeded by many the amount of uh, <laughs> movies we asked you to recommend. Yeah, it, it should be said. I mean, this is by no means a definitive list. There, <laughs> there, are, there are soundtracks that I miss. There are soundtracks that I personally like, but maybe didn't think a whole bunch of other people would also like. I mean, uh, it's just a good general list that I enjoy, and I think others will enjoy as well. And I think with therapy, TJ, you'll find it in your heart to forgive him. <laughs> forgive him for for listing too many mm-hmm. oh no this is perfect i'm happy well joe uh we should thank our listeners uh before we move on and forget about doing it uh, we should talk we should tell our listeners how much we love and appreciate them uh we don't talk directly to our list you've pointed this out joe we don't talk directly to our listeners a lot we talk to each other kind of and mm-hmm. uh, we want to thank you our listeners uh for hanging around with us for these last over three years 150 episodes and uh it's been really great by my calculations that was about fifty thousand hours right wasn't it i don't remember it was something crazy it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy well i mean let's just assume you know one hour one and a half hours per show times 50 um, okay well a- after this episode i in terms of minutes i got thirteen thousand five hundred minutes on right average. i was gonna say it was minutes whatever it averages. was averages so yeah mm-hmm. insane if you're still listening to the show, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on now. I just want you totally, to know, Joe, totally that I am, I am wearing my Movie Bite t-shirt as we podcast right now. The one that uh, we were advertising yes. for several episodes. That's right. Yes. It's, it's a yes. great shirt. I actually shirt. got mine in the mail today. Oh, nice. Um, I'm not wearing it at the moment because I'm <sighs> gross from a workout I did earlier. Oh, but I will okay. be wearing it tomorrow for sure. Excuses. Mm. I'm, I'm wearing my... my <laughs> I like the red one, but I'm wearing the gray one and I got, because I'm, I'm, I was like, I I did the podcast. I had to have both shirts. Right. And so I'm wearing the gray (laughs) one because I've worn the red one already and it's now in the wash. (laughs) So gotcha. um, I got the red one. Yes. The red one is the, is, is the definitive movie by t-shirt, but we knew that people like choice. So, Mm. uh, yes. So yeah, speaking of our listeners, I'm very glad that you joined us. And if you're still listening to the show and you can reflect on the thing, the episodes you liked, the topics you liked, or, you know, your favorite segments that we brought up again and again on the show, or just your favorite movie review or your favorite guest. If you want to share any of those you know, with us, feel free to look us up on Twitter. Uh, we're movie bite on Twitter and movie bite on Facebook. Feel free to let us know your thoughts and let us know what you liked and what you disliked. If, uh, if you have a critique, um, you know, you can share that with someone else, I guess. <laughs> no, 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 you, you can share with us too. <laughs> yeah. Tell so, us what you really think about Chad's two lists. Yeah. So, <laughs> so twitter.com slash movie bite. And, uh, I, that, that has, since we've started the show, that has been one of the accounts like in my tweet bot, cause tweet bot handles multiple accounts. 
So I get notified of mentions and things, and that's probably not going to go away for a while. So certainly feel free to mention us and tell us what you liked about the show, what you liked about this show, what you what you thought about Chad's list, and to, you can tell him that <laughs> Back to the Future 2 is better than Back to the Future 3. P- please do that. Uh, so uh, twitter.com slash moviebank. <laughs> We also wanted to talk, Joe, a little bit about what's happening in the future. We can't talk too much yet because things are still a little bit vague, but um, just because we're ending the movie bite name does not mean that you and I, Joe, are going away or that the concept of the show is going away. No, we have big plans in the future. I still have other podcasts. I have a technology and another a coffee podcast. So I think we want to keep this going. This was our first podcast and there's nothing wrong with the topics or with our guests that we've had over time. I just think that it's about time that we give it a fresh start and we looked at things in a new format, perhaps maybe yep. tweak a couple of things here and there. And we, we want to give it a new lease on life. So we needed a hiatus. We've practically had a new episode for 150 consecutive weeks maybe maybe you missed yeah. we missed uh, three or four in in that time frame right yes which is a really good track record so i think so cut us a little slack i think we've earned a summer vacation all right so the thing that we want to say uh that is coming soon is a new podcast network um called night owl and uh the reason we're mentioning this is because you can follow night owl on twitter uh, Night Owl FM is the name of the Twitter account. So you go to twitter.com slash Night Owl FM. Uh, we won't be tweeting much from there yet, but when we're ready, when things are go, we'll be tweeting from there and letting you know about the new shows and the website and things like that. Or if you're more of an email kind of person, we'll have a link in the show notes where you can go to MailChimp and sign up for our mailing list. So, Excellent. Yes, those things are in the show notes. Uh, the show notes, by the way, one last time, the show notes for this episode are at moviebyte.com slash mb podcast slash one five zero and what's in the show notes tj that is all the links for all the things that we've talked about today it'll have the mailchimp sign up list it'll have the twitter account for night owl fm uh it will have uh links to the shows that we mentioned in our picks it's going to have links to the things we're about to talk about in our items of interest it's going to have links to imdb where we talk about the man from uncle and rotten tomatoes and box office mojo it's just going to be crazy full of all kinds of stuff goodies Mm. lots of goodies Sounds great. Yes. Well, you know, we, we've been uh, regaling for a while now. It's time to talk about some of our regular items of interest. Yes. Let's do it, Joe. This one is all on you. I haven't had a chance even to check it out. In fact, I forgot it was in the show notes until I was looking just now. I'm like, ah. Okay, well, <laughs> don't fry your eyeballs, TJ, because when you go to this link, it's a YouTube video where you can watch all six Star Wars movies layered on top of each other all at once. Hey, is that Star legal? Wars Supercut. Is that legal? <laughs> Uh, it's probably uh, all kinds of copyright infringement. It's it's sixfold. It's, <laughs> okay, it's disgusting, but and it's it's no worse than anything George Lucas ever did. <laughs> <laughs> and B, why would you do this to yourself? Like Star Wars is meant to be watched properly, not like with all three movies like on top of each, all six movies on top of each other. <laughs> for science, TJ. For science. For science. You, you <laughs> for don't science, want to Chad. Watch this thing. It is. You know, it is utter chaos. Science. It is a very unique form of artistic chaos. It almost feels like uh, an abstract painting. There's nothing artistic about that. <laughs> if you're just watching the titles, scroll at the beginning you and you're seeing all the different yeah, like uh, <laughs> expositions unfold on top of each other. You can see how the track movements vary from film to film just a little bit. And then as you hop around, it's actually interesting to see how some of the beats of the progression of Act 1 and 2 and 3 and, and the little nuances here and there kind of kind of like relate in terms of like action builds up at certain points and dies down at other points. 
So uh, it's just, it's interesting because you cannot make out some of the shots. And then other shots, it's like, oh, yes, that's clearly an, a, a great shot of something in Hoth. And then you get a little bit further and it's like, ah, oh, that's clearly from Revenge of the Sith. Why does it have to be there? <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's interesting because then you get near the end and you're about a hundred, no, sorry, two hours and 10 minutes into the entire uh, combination of all the films. And you can see that uh, just a couple of films are still going and one of the films has its rolling credits and then there's like, several, several minutes of film credits because they don't all end at the same time. So with the variance of running times, the last one standing is, I think it's Revenge of the Sith or Attack I'm not of the Clones. Surprised. It's super disappointing. So yeah, like the last credits are rolling while we see Attack of the Clones just going and going and going. Uh, it's it's pretty nutty. Uh, this was uploaded by YouTuber Marks, M-A-U-R-C-S. And I think he just wanted to do it, for, as he put it here, as promised, the HD version of all six Star Wars movies combined to the battle for your attention. It's got 336,000 views on Twitter. It's, you uh, it's you have nutty. not convinced me that I want to watch this yet. <laughs> no, what no, about no. You, I have not Chad? watched this. No, this is not something you literally watch. It's like something you glance at because it shows you how <laughs> insane content can be on Twitter and people love it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I actually came across this probably a month or so ago and I, I did... I watched like the opening credits and turned it off because that was too much. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nuts. <sighs> well, I want to recommend something that I think that I'll be able to convince you guys to watch if you're done assaulting my mind yes, with these weird Star Wars supercuts. <laughs> I have a new Honest Trailers um, for... Uh, this is for Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, so this this was pretty fantastic. In a world of wall-to-wall CGI, where practical action is a thing of the past, a masterpiece of handcrafted death and destruction will rise from the director of Happy Feet and Babe Pig in the City. Wait, what? um i love mad max and i love this honest trailer because honestly all the stuff he was making fun of it's like well we know that like that's just a trope of the movie whatever you know and it was just a lot of fun anyway and honestly the the best honest trailers are the one where they're like the ones where they're like you know well we can't really find anything wrong with this movie anyway but you know we got to make fun of it so right Uh, is this a newer one of the honest trailers tj yeah, it was yeah, it's just August twenty fifth. Yeah, okay. it was just released. I wonder how long they've been working on it because they had a lot of requests for it. And as more recent information has been coming out, it's been proven that there was actually a lot of uh, CGI like compositing work. Oh yeah, just not your traditional What's... CGI like animated dinosaurs and yes. green Hulk men. You know, so it was, and it's like we talked about of... on a recent episode. The, the best CGI is the way it's done in Mad Max. It's not where yeah. like everything is yeah. composed of CGI. CGI is doing what it's supposed to. It's enhancing. It's it's making things work well and seamlessly. But it's not like the entire shot is composed of CGI. I, I just ugh. But Mad Max was a great combination of CGI and practical effects, I thought. Did you see Mad Max, Chad? I did. And while the spectacle was, well, exactly that, a spectacle, it was, it was nice to look at. I, I didn't enjoy the movie very much. I thought it was too nonstop for me. 
Um, just not my kind of movie. All right, uh, moving on. I, <laughs> no, it's worth noting that there are many opinions about this film. The there one are. that everybody holds is that it was a technical, brilliant piece of work. Like it was really well crafted. And whatever, you, however, you feel about the story is another issue. And I think that it's sort of like um, there are there are characters in Mad Max Fury Road that people really gravitate to because they haven't found these kinds of characters in many movies. Like you know, Furiosa is just a very iconic character. So it. it we would rather see another Furiosa story, perhaps. Maybe the story is not the best, not our favorite. Some people seem to be very attracted to the story. Um, good for them. Yeah, see, I think but the story is very masterful, things. personally. Yeah, I see. I feel like the characters were very masterful. And that's that the, true, too. The yes. effects were very masterful. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a huge af- a fondness for the story. Like um, some of the points that were brought out by Honest Trailers, uh, th- they didn't have a whole lot to criticize here. It was mostly glorifying the film. But then they they took the time to point out things like, you know, it was a lot of driving around in between action shots and then more driving and let's take a right turn in the desert, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and then there was some strange things like, you know, the whole world is running out of water and all the people are really wasting a lot of water. So (laughs) it's true. I had that thought when we were watching the movie, actually. It occurred to me as well. And I, yeah. so, you know, it's called Mad Max and Mad Max is practically not the star of the film. And no, that was probably is. their biggest point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't dislike the movie, but uh, it was so nonstop that I found myself getting bored. Ah, Chad. Go away. I don't, Sorry. Go away. <laughs> I don't intend to see the film anytime soon just because it's so grisly. You mean again? I did, what did I say? Uh, you'd see the film as if it was the first time. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't intend to see the film again uh, anytime soon just because it was so grisly. I, I prefer a lighter fare, but it's still, yeah, it's, it's a work of art, so I can see the time and the place for it. All right, Chad, I can't wait to discuss this next bit of business with you. And this is the reason I put it in the show. I, I was actually looking for news links and stuff and things we wanted to talk about. I'm like, I saw this. I'm like, you know what? Chad is a big Harry Potter fan. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So let's 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 go through this. I don't know if you're going to have anything to say about this, Joe, although you probably will. Um, so the, the question is, what does J.K. Rowling think about the Dumbledore as death theory? So um, if you're not familiar, there, the, the kind of there's one of the stories in the last book of Harry Potter and in the last movie is it's a sub story. It's, it's a sub story, it? but it's kind of what everything's based on. It's like the the the. The thing, the kind of the, the theory behind the Deathly Hallows or the lore, you know, you've got the uh, the Elder Wand, the the Cloak of Invisibility, and then you've got uh, the uh, Resurrection, Resurrection Stone. Stone. And then on top of and, – and Death is basically the one that crafted these things and gave them to the magicians and uh, the wizards. And then um, – so, so the idea is that parts of the story also mimic the sub-story in the story. Um, so if uh, let me see if I can find the relevant part here. Uh, in the movie, when Harry Potter has the killing curse shot at him, spoiler alert, uh, he enters the heavenly version of King's Cross Station and greets Dumbledore as an old friend. But instead of them both departing this life, Harry shakes the legend up by going back and living his life, cheating death one last time. And then J.K. Rowling said, Dumbledore as death. It's a beautiful theory, and it fits. Um, so what do you think about this, Chad? I think this is very cool. Um, you know, every once in a while you see some crazy Harry Potter theory, that, and I, I read it, and I'm like... Where did you guys pull this out yes, of? Like, yes. this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, but this one, you know, it's it's widely uh, been accepted that the three brothers in the tale of the three brothers re- were representative of Voldemort, Snape, and Harry. And I mean, it makes sense. That's that's yes. always been the theory. I think there's uh, 
they're actually descendants or related in some way to the Peveril brothers. Yes, correct. Um, and so when I saw this one go up a few weeks back or however long it was, I was like, yeah, that does make sense. I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a fun theory. It's not maybe official canon, but the fact that JK Rowling ties everything together so well and, uh, that the, the idea that this could have been in the back of her head when she wrote this, um, it's, it's just a nice fan theory that, adds a little bit more to the story. Well, I'll tell you, she's so masterful because every time I go back and I read the books and it's been, you know, 10 or 15 times now, I don't even keep track anymore, but I'll, I'll, every time I go back and read the books, I find something new, some way that it's tied together or something that she had obviously thought through by the time they got to the end that she had thought through it back in books one or two or three, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, wow, I, I just, I wish I could tell stories that masterfully. <laughs> I wish that I could hold theories in my brain that long to, to, to set things up and pay them off way out here later. I mean, and there was obviously things where she had to retrofit them a little bit sometimes, but there was few and far between, honestly. Um, right. And and so I, I love this theory that that basically and, – and if you look through the Harry Potter series, there are many things that she did like this that um, that, that she had a story in the story and then the story mimicked the story in the story. <laughs> like there, and, and like, basically, there are lots of things tying it together that you may not catch on first brush with the, with the series. So right. and, and, and her kind of confirming this and saying Dumbledore as death, it's a beautiful theory and it fits. I mean, I, I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting that she had she she was obviously lending the theory credence. Right. I, I do find it interesting, though, because I don't fully understand the theory. It's talking about how he represents death. It's not like he's literally death. It's not like the, the story within the story of the Deathly Hallows represents some sort of prophetic statement. It's actually, it's like, it's supposed to be a true story, a part of their history from the past. Mm, I wouldn't, well, see, here's the thing. I never More took, I never took, history. yeah, I never took the tale of the three brothers from Beetle the Bard as a story that literally happened, see, but that I it's based on something because, that happened. Yeah, I understand right. why you would do that, but then I kind of took it as canon because they ended up with the Infinity Stone, the you know, <laughs> Infinity <whatever>. Stone, yeah. <laughs> the Resurrection Stone, the Cloak of Invisibility, and the Elder Wand. So, so the idea—I think even Dumbledore himself said there's no doubt uh, that the you know whether the story happened that way or not that there were three very powerful brothers and they were probably the ones that constructed these powerfully magical devices. I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. But anyway. It works either way. Yes, I think that I think that that's great. That, it's a fun theory. It, it doesn't really change your appreciation of the movie, I, I guess, it, unless well, you're a real interested, committed Harry Potter fan. And I am. And you you say movie, and I'm thinking, yeah, the movies are supplemental to the books. So right, interesting. <laughs> and uh, if anybody out there doesn't follow J.K. Rowling on Twitter to see stuff like this, yes. you definitely should because she's a lot of fun. She interacts with her fans a lot more now than she used to. Yes, pen and paper are not necessarily her priority at the moment. Um, <laughs> um, and it's just fun watching her interact with people, answering questions occasionally. Um, you know, she she wrote the uh, the books under a pseudonym, um, Robert Galbraith. Um, there was the Cuckoo's Calling, and then there was uh, the Silkworm, and there's another one call uh, coming out this fall. Um, and it's fun interacting. She has a Twitter handle for both herself and her pseudonym, and she interacts those sometimes as well. When did it become uh, known that was a pseudonym? Did, like, was that always known, or was that something that accidentally got revealed, or what's the story on that? It was accidentally revealed, I think, three or four months after the book came out. Mm. It, it enjoyed its own success under the name Robert Galbraith, and then somebody screwed up and let slip, and 
then it let loose that. But it kind of it kind of proves that she's just a good writer, and she's not exactly know, she's not just resting on the laurels of Harry Potter or whatever. Yes, and they're very good books for the record. Uh, they're detective novels, mm. and with how well she ties up loose ends and everything in the Harry Potter series, just imagine her taking that to another genre that works just as well with that kind yeah, of writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. I could see her writing detective stuff because she is really good at the clues and following up on those threads. Mm-hmm. Very good. I highly recommend. Good. An inspiration for us all. Yes. <laughs> One last thing before we dive into our review, and that is that we have a Lego video that shows us Jurassic World in 90 seconds. You kids have fun while your father and I get divorced. Yippee! Dinosaurs are awesome! Dinosaurs are lame. Teens think dinosaurs are lame, so we're making hybrids now. What does Star-Lord think? (laughs) (laughs) This is way better. Could you understand anything that that guy said? What's that? Could you understand anything that the guy said, the owner of the park? Yeah, what does Star-Lord think? Uh, See, uh, I I got that now, but I I had to listen to it three times. Really? I thought it was good. And I had a hard time understanding him in the movie, too. You need better headphones, man. (laughs) <laughs> this is way better than the film ever thought about being agreed I, I, agreed the film should have been this <laughs> in fact if they had made the same film with legos maybe that would have been okay too <laughs> yeah the day uh, i know this isn't in the news but is anybody else bummed that the director of jurassic world is directing a star wars movie yes yes i do not want this do not want do not want go I hope that away. changes which one is he directing he is directing episode nine yeah Okay, I didn't see that coming. Oh, that's a rotten shame. Yeah, we've got J.J. Abrams with episode seven. We've got Ryan Johnson, who directed Looper uh, on episode eight. That so one I'm excited, excited for that. I'm very that. excited yes. about that one. I'm yeah. excited. And then uh, episode nine, we've got Colin Trevorrow. No. No, thank you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I hope they fire him before we get there. See, this Agreed. is interesting to me. I feel like those those three directors parallel what they did with uh, episodes four, five, and six, huh. where, totally exactly. speaking... J.J. Abrams could he could craft a film that reminds you it sort of echoes Episode Four and the other directors you know their respective parts five and six mm. I can see that yeah mm. maybe so interesting ah uh, well it is what it is we'll have to wait and see and that wasn't Star Wars news anyway I, so I li- well on. yeah I, I liked uh, um, Episode Six better than I liked Jurassic World though so uh, there's that <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, shall we get into our view of the man from Uncle? Yeah, yes, let's, let's do it. All right. I'm ready to disagree with you one last time on this episode, on this podcast. All right, let's do it. Are they still following us? Yes. Is there one of them? Mm-hmm. Is he looking at us? Does he have just one hand on the steering wheel? Uh-huh. When you hear something that sounds like a gunshot, drive. Nicely done. That was from the movie The Man from Uncle, which is now in theaters. It was released on August the 14th of this year, 2015. It had a budget of $75 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $13.4 million. And the worldwide gross thus far is $53.4 million. 
The man from Uncle tries to distract from an unremarkable story with charismatic stars and fizzy set pieces, adding up to an uneven action thriller with just enough style to overcome its lack of substance. That is according to the critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. Joe is furiously trying to fill things in on the show outline <laughs> that I forgot to put in. The writers were Guy Ritchie, Lionel Wygram, Jeff Kleeman, David C. Wilson, uh, and... Uh, Guy, story. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. You're not finished with me yet. Okay, so those were the writers. The stars were Henry Cavill, Army Hammer, Alicia Vikander, El- Elizabeth Debicki, Hugh Grant, Jared Harris, Sylvester Groth. Groth? I don't know. Uh, the composer was Daniel Pemberton. Is he any good, Chad? I don't know anything that he's done outside of this, mm. and I thought the music here was okay. Yeah, it was fine. Appropriate to the film, not something you would listen to on its own. No, me, I, I don't think so. Right. Yeah. Very peppy. It kind of reminded me of, what's his name? Um, the guy who did some of the early Pixar films. Just uh, his Randy Newman? Slipping my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I kind of feel a uh, film soundtrack where it gets very peppy very fast and then very dark very fast. It's highs and lows, like interwoven, like the cues are like minute by minute sometimes, but with a 60 tonality and uh, yeah, for the spies genre. Speaking of the spy genre, let's talk about the storyline. Yes, let's. Okay, so we're looking at uh, in the 1960s with the Cold War in play, CIA agent Napoleon Solo successfully helps Gabby Taylor defect to West Germany despite the intimidating opposition of KGB agent Ilya Kuryakin. Later, all three unexpectedly find themselves working together in a joint mission to stop a private criminal organization from using Gabby's father's scientific expertise to construct their own nuclear bomb. Nuclear. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> wow. I did not know you were one of those people, Joe. What did I say? <laughs> nuclear. What did I say? I said nuclear. What did I say? You said nuclear. I'm sorry, guys. It's nuclear. <laughs> I know that. I, my brain heard that. My brain heard me say that. Nuclear. I, I, I heard that. <sighs> Continue. Oh, sorry. Through clenched teeth and stylish poise, all three must find a way to cooperate for the sake of world peace, even as they each pursue their own agendas. All right, guys. Uh, okay. What are your what, what were your expectations going into this film? I, I want to know. Were any of you familiar with a TV show, The Man from Uncle, or anything like that? Chad, why don't you tell us? I was not. Not at all. Um, I knew it was based on a TV show. I knew it was an older TV show, so I didn't know whether it was going to go along with that sort of campier vibe that was sure that I'm sure, uh, occupy the TV show mm-hmm. or, um, if it would play more towards modern spy films like James Bond or, um, I can't think of any other current examples, and but the uh, answer is kind of yes, both. Yeah. <laughs> kind of both. Um, and I will say that I think that that critic consensus on rotten tomatoes pretty accurately describes what I think of the film. Interesting. I, it, I disagree with it wildly. Um, all right, Joe, your general uh, thoughts here and your expectations. Uh, I didn't know much about the television show. I never saw it. Uh, never will. It sounded interesting. In fact, I got it confused for being something like a classic novel, maybe something like a, you know, like, you know, James Bond started out as novels and they were turned to movies. I thought maybe this was a film that ha- was a remake of a previous film that was a, a, a film based on a book, you know, like I, I don't think that the man of uh, the man from uncle, uh, just made any sort of bells ring in my head. <laughs> so going into the movie, I thought, oh, this is just going to be sort of like a 60s noir spy agent story based on something out of a novel, right? And I was totally wrong. 
based on an old television show made in the mid sixties. So yes. if you haven't seen it, uh, you're not missing too much unless you love that kind of thing. So go check it out. I, I actually, my expectations were kind of all over the place because I love style by itself, TJ. And this film is loaded with style. Oh yes. So it, it has a lot of eye candy just to look at. And I saw that coming when I saw the trailer. And then on the other hand, it didn't really feel like there was much substance to the movie. And you could see that in the trailer. Like the, the trailer really repre- the trailers probably really represent this movie well because what you see is what you're going to get. You're going to see more of Henry Cavill, uh, aka Superman or the Man of Steel, more like a, a super suave Clark Kent. And then you have Army Hammer, who starred as a Lone <laughs> Ranger. Yes. And if you cared for him there, he's nothing like that here. And I, I want to like Army Hammer, but I don't think he's hit his stride. Mm. And he's been in some very interesting films with interesting roles. And I wasn't convinced that he was a genuine Russian spy. Not Russian and not spy material, even though he did pretty good on the execution. So then there was Alicia Vick- Vickender. Yes. And, uh, well, she's breathtaking. She's, she's delightful. She probably has more acting ability in general than the two men. Uh, <laughs> and that was interesting because she plays the supporting role and she did very interesting things. The, I remember seeing her in Ex Machina and, uh, interesting that how dynamic she can be. She had this incredibly, um, sort of stilted, subtle performance there where she had to hide all of her emotions as a robot who eventually, you know, does interesting things that you didn't see coming. And here she's playing sort of a, um, a mechanic, a young woman and playing up sort of this uh, fish out of water that she doesn't really want to play along, but she also knows she really needs to play along. And then there were some interesting twists later in the film that made her character even more interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I felt like my expectations were met, but that's not saying that it was a great film. We'll get into the nitty gritty. Okay. Um, I also had no familiarity at all. have not seen a single episode of the man from uncle from the sixties. Um, and I had no expectations on that front going in. Uh, however, um, I, I, I did have some expectations because this is Guy Ritchie and because I loved the Sherlock uh, Holmes films that he did. I, I love them both very dearly. Um, and I love kind of his style and his, uh, the personality that he brings to those films. I like the way he, I like the sensibilities he brings to those films. And so I was expecting some of that. I could see that his personality was in the same personality that was in Sherlock Holmes was in these films. I could see that from the trailer. So I had those expectations going into this film. And I would say those expectations were met and exceeded even. I would say that I was, I was in fact pleasantly surprised at how this is very Guy Ritchie. And yet it also kind of in some ways tones down the personality that he brought to Sherlock Holmes, but in other ways, other facets are ramped up. So, like, there's different aspects that are on display here of Guy Ritchie's personality with these films that were not on display with Sherlock Holmes. I, I, I found those aspects of the film quite pleasant. Um, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of, the, of this film. Yeah, I liked both of the Sherlock Holmes films as well, except there was one scene in the second one where there's slow motion running through a forest that I, I cringe every time it happens. Really? I kind of like that um, scene. I don't know. It's just overdone, I think. Hmm. Um, but I did anticipate seeing more of that Guy Ritchie kind of style and there was lots of it and I think it worked better here than in Sherlock Holmes I think this is just a um, a movie that has that kind of sensibility to it that fits more in with his style of filmmaking not to say it was bad in Sherlock Holmes that's not what I'm saying at all I'm just saying it works better here yeah agreed one of the examples is in Sherlock Holmes they do this a couple of times where they will um 
they'll kind of go through a sequence, and it, it lasted longer than anything in The Man from Uncle where they did this, but they would go through a sequence, and then they would go and kind of go back through the sequence and show you what you missed or add things in that you they wanted you to miss, um, and then they, they show you how that affects everything. And they did that a lot in The Man from Uncle, and I found it pretty satisfying the way they did it where and and it was much shorter bursts too like they would go through the sequence for about you know two to three minutes and then they would go back and they would replay it and show you the important relevant parts that they either left out or that they forced you to miss on purpose and it was very effective in this film i enjoyed that a lot right i listed that under one of my likes as well yeah it really didn't occur to me while watching the film that there was a relationship between this and Guy Ritchie's other films, but in hindsight, I do see it now. R- what really struck me was just how much this felt like a classic genre, uh, well, spy flick. It felt like something very retro, true to the 60s, and yet uh, had some modern sensibilities in terms of action, a lot of quick cuts. It seemed like they were uh, he was interweaving as many of the best takes as he possibly could. So the camera didn't uh, just stay on target and let the characters uh, performances play out over a long course of many lines. There were a lot of cuts in this film, so it felt like they were they were just targeting uh, one-liners or maybe a quick <laughs> give and take between two, you know two lines of, of the stars or something, and then they would quickly cut to another shot. And I, I felt like it was a bit much. There was a lot of camera angles. There was a lot of camera movement. Uh, in, in not terms of like shaky cam, but just like hopping around the different locations to see different reactions and what have you. But it was a, it was not something that I think would take away from the experience if you were n- not familiar with what to be looking for. So um, it, I would have liked it if there were some uh, longer performances, if you got to see people play it out for a few, you know, maybe a minute at least before you make a quick cut again. But, uh, mm. but still, it feels masterful in its own right. And I can't complain as far as how this holds water compared to the Sherlock films, uh, I'm not a big fan of the Sherlock films. So in some ways, I probably prefer this movie. And uh, yeah, so you want to talk about the beginning of the movie? I, I was actually really entertained by the opening title sequence. Again, that was kind of retro. Yes, no, it definitely was. In fact, I thought I was. I thought we were in for a more of a film noir experience than we got when with the because of the opening title sequence. At first, I thought, oh, this is really going to be retro. Yes, and, right, and it definitely fits in with the idea of it being a sort of Bond esque film, where you yes, have the yes. that's a very traditional James Bond, is you have the opening sequence, opening titles with the James Bond title song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sets up the tone for the rest of the film. It gives you the history, a little bit of like a hint of a prologue, and it, it looks like it's black and red, and it's it's microfiche that is quickly moving around with mm-hmm. some video clips of, interwoven. So it was something that I think a lot of the younger. Uh, people in the audience wouldn't even understand but they would just think it was it looked interesting whatever the heck it was they were doing but it was obvious that they were imitating the movement of microfiche and uh th- that took me back a little bit i was like oh yeah that that stuff i saw at the, the public library uh, nobody else is going to be, be able to appreciate <laughs> the, for the rest in the of era life. this film is set in it makes sense even <laughs> when this movie is unearthed in a thousand years by aliens they're going to be like what the heck are they doing here what is the, what is this stuff weird animation <laughs> movement okay whatever so did you get the sense that in many ways that this is like an American James Bond? I know that that was that was mentioned a lot when we were talking about Mission Impossible and I heard others talking about Mission Impossible. It's like the American version of, of James Bond. But I would say that this more closely follows the idea of James Bond. In fact, you kind of alluded to that, Chad. Um, yeah, um, 
looking at the Mission Impossible films, um, I don't know if I agree that it's an American James Bond. No. I, I think that this definitely fits the bill a lot more. Yeah, I would say like like our our main character in Napoleon Solo is is a bit more like funny, like you'd expect an American to be, not quite as proper and British, but he certainly right. has that kind of suave charm and like is you know things operate very smoothly. And I'm thinking more of the old James Bond because the new James Bond, he's not such a smooth operator. You know, things don't always go quite as right. smooth. Um, I'm thinking more of of the um, uh, the Pierce Brosnan James Bond kind of thing. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that uh, Napoleon Solo very much more mimics a, an American James Bond idea than than Mission Impossible would have. So. Speaking of Pinkhammer's performance, it was a very different kind of performance from what we saw of him in Man of Steel, because that's, I think, where most people will recognize his face. And it was nice to see that he has more acting ability than he was given license to use there. Uh, there he was just trying to look kind of like the DC Comics equivalent of Thor. <laughs> and here, you know, he's putting on a character like he's he's um, you know doing everything you need to look like you're undercover at times. Sometimes you're just looking out for self-preservation and you're acting out of your own ambition or other times you're actually dedicated to the cause. And in, when delivering a variety of different lines, he actually reminded me a lot of Peter Dinklage who is uh, one of the stars of Game of Thrones. And uh, yeah, it, it just sort of like his mannerisms, his facial expressions, uh, the the delivery of lines. Th- there was a lot of lines in this film from beginning yes, to end where yes. they were just <laughs> allowing for characters to behave like characters. They were expressing themselves. And it, it, it happens all throughout the film. There was a lot of show and not telling, and there was also a lot of telling and not showing. <laughs> while they, they would interweave a lot of exposition or just like, uh, chatting and conflict, like uh, you know, differences of opinion between Russians and Americans and other. So uh, yeah, it was uh, there was a wide variety of different nationalities that were represented in the film, and I think that they tried their best to uh, match those personalities with the stereotypical version of that 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 nationality in a spy genre film, and they did it with some grace. Sometimes it was uh, it was a little bit too hard boiled, and but it was still <laughs> still entertaining. What did you guys think? Did did that strike you about their performances? Uh, so as far as performances go, I enjoyed Henry Cavill a lot. Um, and, and it turns out that I like him a lot better when he's not Superman. <laughs> Although there's a part of me that couldn't help but see Superman occasionally. Um, but I, I just, I can't stand Man of Steel. So there's that. But I, it turns out I do like Henry Cavill. He was fantastic in this film. Uh, Alicia Vikander uh, certainly had a lot of spunk. Uh, she brought a lot to this role. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Anytime she was on screen, it was I knew that it was going to be a good scene. Yeah. Uh, Army Hammer, I was not in love with, man. I was not in love with Army Hammer. Meh. He was not so good. I, I would say like his um his approximation of a Russian accent was terrible. It, it was very much like an American playing a Russian. Go figure. <laughs> uh, what did you think, Chad? I liked most of the cast. I thought everybody performed very well individually. Uh I can understand what you're saying with Army Hammer's accent. Um I've liked Army Hammer since The Social Network um, when mm. he played the the Winklevi, um, and Lone Ranger being what it was. I thought he was great in that too. Um, he wasn't my favorite part of this film, but I did enjoy him a fair bit. Um, my biggest problem with the characters in this film wasn't the performances of the actors; it was more the, in my opinion, underdeveloped relationships between some of those characters. Yeah, well, can you can you explore that a little bit more? Because I don't know that I agree with that. Okay, the the main one that I I found issue with was the 
supposed relationship that was building between Gabby and Ilya. That's okay. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I will. I will give you that one hundred percent. I didn't buy that. There at was all. right. There was that, and it it just didn't grow very well. It was like they were trying to hint at it here and then here. It was like. Was that a hint? I, I I don't know. And then he he's sad at the end that she's leaving or whatever. It it just didn't add up. It didn't make sense to me. Um, I think to a lesser extent, the relationship between um, Solo and Ilya was also a bit underdeveloped. I think that that opening chase sequence um, was meant to serve as the the conflict between them. When I think that it could have just been, well, he's a Russian, he's an American, where. We're in conflict with each other at this time in our nation's history. Um, Let that be the source of the conflict rather than this weird confrontation at the beginning of the film. See, I actually thought that the relationship between Henry Cavill and Army Hammer, what were their uh, so Solo and Ilya, whatever, I thought that worked well. I I, I completely, though, I'm with you on the relationship between uh, um, Gabby, Gabby Gabby and Ilya. It was just like, what? No, this is not, this is not working. It's not happening. It's not, nothing about this is, it's, it's, they were in, you know, at most you could say they were infatuated with each other or something, but it was just like, this is just not, the relationship really just wasn't well established. Right. Well, I, there's that with, uh, Gabby and Ilya. I think that Solo and, um, Ilya had very nice moments with each other, Mm -hmm. but it was the buildup and, uh, the scenes in between those moments that I thought were really good, that just didn't gel as well with me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I find it interesting that Army Hammer is actually taller than Henry Cavill because Henry Cavill is supposed to be 6'4 if he's going to be Clark Kent. So um, <laughs> I think well, I actually looked up their three. heights when I got home. Um, oh, okay. Henry Cavill is 6'1, uh, 6'3, six, six, something like that, and Army Hammer is 6'5. So oh, okay. um, he really is a tall guy. Henry Cavill oh. is 6'1. Okay, that's what I thought. And I, I'm pretty sure Army Hammer is 6'5". All right, wow. let's see. Army, I'm sure go- the Googles will have the information for us. 6'5", there you, you go. Yep. Hmm. I know it's off topic, but I wanted to go back to the opening scene, or not necessarily the opening scene, the first major scene. It was this chase that starts off the film where the characters first interact. You have Solo, who meets Gabby and rescues her from the mechanic shop. Mm -hmm. And then Ilya is in hot pursuit, and these two spies are on opposing sides at this time. And it's sort of what y'all have been making allusions to. But I didn't really pay close attention to the character development at the time because it seemed more like they were just trying to set the pace of the film for this one scene. And it, it, it maybe it was just me, but... Yeah, I think it was I just felt, you. You're just missing cues, Joe. <laughs> well, what struck me as disappointing was that the this scene just kind of waned and it went a bit long as far as the chase was concerned. They they were trying to play up some interesting gags and, you know, they get the car jammed in the middle of the <laughs> the alley and that was uh, kind of uh, fun in a, in a lighthearted sort of way. Uh, but it was really remarkable how uh it, it did it occur to y'all throughout the film that if the russians were really trying to like take this matter seriously they'd have more than just one field agent whereas the british the as it turns out over the hall of the film have many operatives and wait they do have well, it, it, they have they have ground troops they have they have different people around that are in the background that show up in later scenes, you have some you know task force with you know uh, with with firearms, and they have their helicopters. Sure, they called in the task force, but yeah. for most of the film, it was just the three. Uh, spoiler alert: just the three operatives. <laughs> um, I, 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 as a whole, it just didn't feel like we were getting enough presence of the Russians. Mm. Is what I'm saying. I suppose I didn't sense any less presence from them than anybody else. 
Okay. Um, another thing, uh, going back to the the sixties vibe, how did y'all like the subtitles in their cool font? Font, uh, I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, no, it worked well. It worked well for me. I noted it right away. Being a typography nerd, I'm like, oh, that's that's a nice retro font they're using for the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, I liked it too. Uh, if anything bothered me about it, it was the lack of punctuation. To be honest. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no, that's that's a sentence. You need to end it with the punctuation mark. Come on. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they just don't have punctuation in that font set. So, oh well. Yeah, oh, wow. that happens. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Was it was very creative. It was and, different. And I really like the uh, the split screen stuff. Like when, you know, most of the time you get these fast paced action sequences or whatever, or these, you know, quick cut sequences that kind of move your story along. And here they use the retro split screen kind of technique uh, Guy Ritchie did. And I, I, I found that enjoyable. I liked it a lot. Even sometimes he would split screen, you know, just to show us, you know, two things going on at once. Um, so it really worked well for the style of the film. So they were using the subtitles throughout the film, and at the end of that that long chase, or maybe it was the next one near. Well, it was still in Act One. There was a point at which um, our Russian starts firing a gun in the top of a building to try and knock open the door to the seal, like to the top of the building. And uh, he can't get through. It's locked. It's it's pinned down, and he starts shooting a gun. And I mean, it's kind of it's it's, it's comical, right? Because you see the dents right into the door, so yeah. you know, there's bulges <laughs> yes. coming up from where the bullets are fired. Yes. But uh, the bullets just vanish. I mean, like it's a closet of a room. It's like the size of a broom closet, and he's firing them at point blank range into the door. Where do the, where do those bullets go? It's it's, they, it's, it's movie bullets, easily. Joe. It's movie bullets. <sighs> I know, I know. It, just, <laughs> it, it cracked me up because those bullets should have easily bounced back and hit him two or three times. So. <laughs> uh, and that, that actually brings up an, um, one of the points I started to notice throughout the film. At times, it wanted to characterize humor uh, beats and some of the some of the the riffs between different characters as sort of like Indiana Jones quality entertainment. <laughs> so there's some there's comical relief between the the, uh, the man and the woman in the bedroom. You know, like how how quickly will sparks fly? Will no sparks fly at all? Are we sure of where this relationship is going? Are they going to keep it professional? Or are they not? And so they kind of did some things that reminded me of Indiana Jones with this this little romantic affair, and and they did it two or three times in different scenarios that way. And then you have the guys comedically, you know, riffing off of each other at times where, like, when they when they meet and they're told they're going to work together for the first time, you have Solo and Ilya, or is it Ilya? Uh, anyway, who knows? Uh, when they first realize that they're going to work together, they start fighting together in the men's restroom and tearing <laughs> the room apart before. Their, their managers are able to give them, their supervisors are able to give them their instructions. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, you're working together, so stop killing each other. You know? <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, th- there was that kind of comical relief that reminded me of Indiana Jones. And it was, it was, it was actually one of the more pleasant qualities of the entire film. Uh, one thing, though, that kind of disappointed me, this interlaced throughout the entire film, was how... <sighs> They they characterized a variety of different bad guys, but none of the bad guys seemed to be give given enough uh, screen time, and it was difficult to really appreciate. Uh, like, what were they? What were the bad guys really after? Like, it, they they were sort of um, left in the background. Well, for a lot yeah, of yeah, I mean, they were just trying to get their uranium enriched, you know, super nuclear uh, nuclear uh, warheads. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Never going to hear the end of this one. As far as uh, the villains go, I thought that one was that was one of the things that I thought didn't 
get executed as well was uh, the setup of the story, basically. No, I saw the villains get executed. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Cut it out. Cut it out. Sorry, I'm I'm just being quippy like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so we're we're at the point, they've just been told that they're going to be working together. Great. And then they go through this fast, very quick spiel about who they're after, who's who, why they're doing what they're doing, and then it's it's on it moving forward, moving forward. And it, I was like, wait, I didn't catch all of that. Can we rewind it a little bit, please? Mm. Um, and I mean, they did it well enough throughout the rest that I was able to figure out. Okay, so this is the bad person. Got it. And this <laughs> right. is the guy who's who's doing the torture stuff. Okay, cool. I'm on the page now. But it was just like the setup was so quick that I, I wasn't able to follow it as well as I would have liked. Mm. Agreed. Okay. Um, sure. I, I, I actually think that the kind of the lightweightness and digestibleness of the plot really actually is in favor of this movie. It's, you know, it's not destined to be it was Shakespeare, nice. but I, I enjoyed right. it. It was lightweight and digestible and it was easy for me to kind of follow along. And because a lot of times we complain about how, you know, the villain's motives seem convoluted and complicated. And this was pretty straightforward and it, it was pretty mm. easy to understand. It's like, these people, they're wanting to make uranium-enriched nuclear warheads, and we're going to stop them. I, I found that uh, rather refreshing. To, to me, it was, it was quite a, uh, a, a nice take. Right. It was, was, it was less an issue with uh, what the motivations were and more of an issue with, with uh, who was who and who was uh, the bad guy, who was a good guy. It was just – right. it took me a while to catch up with names – and with who was who and who was good, who was bad. And I wish that had just been slowed down a tiny bit so that I could have followed a little bit better. So do, do you think then that will make the second viewing of this film better for you? Do you intend to revisit it at some point? Or what do you think? Uh, I didn't dislike the movie, so I'm certain I'll, I'll watch it again at some point mm. if it comes on TV or it's on Netflix or something. Comes on but TV? To- what are you, an animal? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still living at my parents' house, so I got what they got. Okay, okay. Yeah, I have to agree with Chad. There were even moments in the first half of the film I wondered if the Russians were, were going to turn out to be the bad guys and that Ilya would defect and side with the Americans and the British and things like that. So it was, I wasn't exactly sure like wh- where was his where was his uh, loyalty and where did it lie? So but it's I can a spy see thriller, where, so that makes sense that you wouldn't know for sure. Well, until you, you know, we likened it to a Bond film earlier, but there's one huge difference between this and a Bond film, and that is that Bond is pretty much working solo, and then his interactions with other leading characters are usually supervillains with M to boss him around, and leading ladies who are damsels in distress or are showing off that they're just as capable as Bond. And then they fall in love and kiss, and then they die. You know, so, with that whole bond is working solo thing. You left yourself wide open. And I'm just right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the, the, the problem here is is that this is actually something of a buddy film. We have the different characters forming their own little Avengers squad. You know, in a, a spy sort of way. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, in large part, it's seeing people that don't get along get along over the long haul. So you know when the guy and the girl at the beginning of a, a film don't like each other and they're um, pesky and they're just annoyed with each other, then they're bound to fall in love. You of know, course, like that's yes. it's, a, it's a trope, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. And, and, but they're doing the same thing here. So it's, it's Woody and Buzz. They hate each other at the beginning of Toy Story. <laughs> and then by the end of the film, they're really depending on each other because they're best did, friends. Did you just compare Solo and Ilya to Woody and Buzz? <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's just a metaphor, TJ. 
It's just a metaphor. Uh, sorry, I, I got distracted by your metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's distract you with something else. Remember that one scene where Solo has his superior in the CIA who's like watching TV and John F. Kennedy is giving a presidential speech. It struck yes. me as very odd that they were sitting somewhere in, I'm assuming an apartment somewhere in Germany at the time. It was somewhere over in Europe. Yes, it was in Europe and, in the event. And, you know, I don't know what broadcast television was like in those days, but I have a hard time believing that they had JFK on television and they, and they could get that kind of public feed. You're joking, Where right? they were located. You, th- you think that that was readily available in, yes. in another country like that? Yes. Okay. I, I was wondering about that, <laughs> if that was historically accurate or not. Because, you know, if this was predating, you know, regular cable television. And this isn't, you know, in the age of the internet where you can just watch anything you want on demand. So... It well, was like broad daylight there in Germany and wherever JFK was, he was speaking in English and it was in daylight also. So, you know, what are the chances that their, their schedules aligned that they could both be, you know, well, in the I mean, of the day? basically, especially at the time when big, you know, superpowers are, are uh, you know, the president of the United States, or if it was, you know, somebody from one of the other big nations was speaking, he was probably going to be on television somewhere. No, I, 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 I didn't have any problem with that. I didn't think it was like a huge fallacy. I'm just saying it was a, a potential fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was another interesting little tidbit. This is in the positive. I thought that Henry Cavill, as as he used his voice, he just sounded like such a great radio voice. I mean, he was agreed. <laughs> I would love to have him on the show. Ah, it was just dripping <laughs> with suave. You know, it was it was awesome. Yes, uh, well, maybe like you I can said, talk Man of Steel with him. Yeah, this is this is a Henry Cavill that I didn't get to see in Man of Steel because I hated Man of Steel so much. Maybe I just missed it, but <laughs> that, that's one thing you can compare in contrast him with Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne's Batman. Um, you know, Bruce Wayne. Uh, or no, no, no. I mean, Christian Bale and Henry Cavill are both British, correct? I think that they're both British. Mm, I know yes. that I know that Christian Bale is. Yes. Mm. So the th- the thing is, is that between the two of them, both good British actors, they don't often get to portray. Uh, British characters that we have seen so far with their original accents. But between the two of them, uh, Henry Cavill has a much better accent, or at least he can use it when he needs to better. And that was entertaining. I guess I had forgotten that Christian Bale was an English actor. Interesting. Mm, Now, speaking of the suave men, um, did it seem a little bit over the top to y'all guys, a little bit disappointing uh, when they were in the clothing store, they were picking out the wardrobe for Gabby and it, it, you know, pay no mind to the idea that they needed clothes too for their special operation. But they they were getting a new wardrobe for Gabby, which makes complete sense. But Gabby has nothing to do with the decisions here. And not only does she have nothing to do with the decisions, it was a great comedic moment because it could show the rift of not just personalities but different cultures between the American and the the Russian, and the, like the way that two. Uh, experienced spies would think about a situation in completely different ways, but they're essentially talking about women's women's clothing and they know everything. They know everything down to what the accessories are called. Like, did that strike y'all as awkward? First of all, I want to go back to the part where you said y'all guys like get some English lessons, Joe. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, I didn't, I I assumed that it was because at the time she was playing, she was making, you know, she was not known as a spy and they were the spies and they were going to pick out the garments, the wardrobe or whatever that uh, she, that they wanted her to wear for the occasion that they, you know, for the spy spy stuff they were doing. But right. they did seem overly familiar with women's garments. I, I have no yes. idea. Like I, 
um i'd be like so is this like a you call this a blouse i mean i think we call this a shirt in in men lingo so (laughs) (laughs) that's the extent of my knowledge so (laughs) yeah that scene was just a little bit awkward but i mean it's whatever (laughs) but it was definitely supposed to be awkward like it was the funny awkward kind of scene that they were going for yeah, but you know, it, it didn't bother me enough that I would have brought it up like you, Joe. Obviously, it really bothered you. Not hugely. It was just one of the moments where I was thinking, you know, the the entertainment value is pretty good, but the realism is pretty low because <laughs> the woman doesn't have any opinion about the clothes and they're spending a lot of money on her. And maybe she's not really into it because she doesn't want to be involved in this this entire operation you know they they demonstrated that she could be an antagonist to the entire thing because she she didn't want to put her neck out there right right and then at the same time though it's kind of like you know you get to buy some really nice clothes and she has no opinion about this she's not referring (laughs) to any of the different kinds of clothes by name these guys know all of the clothes like they're 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 fashionistas it cracked me up <laughs> uh yeah, obviously it bothered you. It was it was fine. I didn't care. Okay, so then there was this moment where the the guys were talking about uh their their different techniques and they were doing a spy operation together. They had to do a break in, they had to cut through some wires, get into a building a building and steal some stuff. I thought and that was great. This it stuff was it, a it was a fun scene. It was it yeah, was I think that was, was the best scene between the two of them. Yes. It cracked me up. Everything from the kiss to like the CO2 laser, just, you know, that moment where uh, the Russian looks over at the American who's got out his, he has like wire cutters and he's going snip, 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 <laughs> snip. And the Russian's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then he pulls out the CO2 laser, you know, that, that, that just and, and, and then, you know, the whole door lock and, you know, like, uh, Henry Cavill's got his door, his lock unlocked and then he's just fooling around with this thing. He's like, do you want to let me do that? <laughs> <laughs> It sort of reminded me, have you guys seen uh, Get Smart? Yes. There was an old TV show. The, the, the movie with Steve Carell is hysterical. I love that It has that one movie. of the funniest lines I've ever heard in a movie ever. Um, but uh, it reminds me of that when Steve Carell's character would be like, mm, you don't have one of these? Well, <laughs> and, uh, there, it was always a competition who had the better gear. And th- yeah. that's what I thought back to with that. Yeah, mm. I love Get Smart. So after the scene of breaking and entering and getting into the the safe, we have this uh, speedboat scene, and I felt like it was kind of waning. What did y'all think? Because again, it was one of those examples where I don't know how they could have made it better. I just know that it didn't feel very strong, even I though it, it accomplished some progression. And it was it was entertaining, yeah, but the way in which it was entertaining felt like laggy mm. to the entire picture. I can't agree. I, I really? loved that scene. I, I thought it was fantastic. And you you know, as soon as he bailed out of the boat, you're as soon as our American guy bailed out of the boat, you're like, I see what's going on here. It, it was I don't know. It was just a lot of fun. Okay, well, and, and this maybe, is the sort of thing that I was gonna say like like this movie is just filled with fun and interesting sequences like this. Interesting sequence, yeah, but why was the boat there in the first place? Because this, that did, struck me as odd. Why wouldn't the boat be there? There'd be a boat at a dock. Come on. <sighs> it was a really cool looking speedboat at a, at a it dock. It was? It was just a boat with a motor on it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like it was out of place. Not the kind of dock for that kind of building. Okay. It was it was convenient for the story because you know they're, they're, follow, they're chased by what looks like a, um, a fisherman's boat. Or a uh, security guard's boat. Not, I'm not sure exactly which. Security but, guard. You know, yeah. So they, they're they're ready to handle the uh, anyone trying to escape. But again, there's just, just a speedboat, and I, I don't know. It just it struck me as odd. Like, 
It was awfully convenient. It happened to be there at all for the scene to progress. I've seen speedboats, and that was not a speedboat, Joe. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so what would you call it? I mean, it was, it was like a, the was boat, boat in The Last Crusade. It was, I mean, like he gets into it, it has a steering wheel, he goes, yeah, it was, it was a speedboat. Yes, yes, like it Indiana made Jones noises used. a lot like that. Yes, yes, it did. <laughs> my my, 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 uh, my nine-year-old can make those noises. <laughs> Uh, he's a Foley artist. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fine. I, I loved all the, uh, I, I, I don't know. I loved it as an interesting sequence and I thought it worked well in the movie that it was in. So I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, okay. I, I okay. enjoyed like, uh, so this movie, well, TJ, just, like, can you explain like, you know, you just keep on saying, well, I liked that Chad. Well, I liked that show. Can, can you explain why you liked it? Or you just felt like it worked. Is that what you're saying? Yes, like, I just everything felt like it say, worked. Like I just, everything that we are saying, uh, I'm not sure if that worked. TJ is like, no, that worked. It totally like, worked. Okay. I mean, it was, it worked for the movie that it was in. And it, it I didn't think that anything necessarily <laughs> felt out of place. I, I okay. thought that that it, this movie was built of wonderful, funny, interesting set pieces. Sometimes uh, nice action pieces. Um, particularly, I thought that the uh, end sequence, you know, where he's explaining on the on the radio what's going to happen, and then they this was the the big one where they they did the whole rewind thing and showed exactly how things were working out. I thought it was just fantastic. I mean, I just thought that everything in this movie had set up and payoff. I, I was very happy with it. Yeah, and it felt that way a lot like the Indiana Jones pictures again. You know, it, um, they would have a lot of setups and a lot of payoffs. Uh, sequences felt like they were mini episodes. Yes, yes. And the twists began early, of all things considered. Like near the end of Act Two, there would be a twist, and then there was yet another twist, and then another, and another. And I was blown away by the number of twists and false endings. It was actually very effective, and it really sustained the energy for the last uh, third of the film. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chad, do you have anything else you want to talk about in your likes or your dislikes? We can kind of get into our dislikes now too, before we wrap it up. I just have a a few small things. Um, One, I mentioned the music earlier. It was okay. I thought that in many ways it fit the film very well at many points, but then there were also times when I thought it was loud and I thought it was distracting and it was, it just didn't work out for me. I don't know if it was, I don't know what they were going for, um, but the music just sort of took over at a couple of moments. And I thought, wow, that's kind of shrill guitar sounding. Uh, mm. Not a big fan of that sound on that guitar. It's very tinny. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it would be better separate from the film. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, it was just distracting at moments. Um, so there's that. And then uh, next, uh, the whole uncle thing. It perplexed me throughout the whole yes. film. I, like, I, I didn't know the TV show. I didn't look up what uncle stood for. And the whole time I was watching, I was like, okay, the man from uncle, the man from uncle, he's an uncle. Um, I don't think that's the connection. Hmm. Uh, oh, oh, last 30 seconds. Now we know what uncle is. And I, yes. I guess that's expected of this sort of origin movie. So I can't be too angry at it. It was just like, it, it it, it left me asking questions the whole time uh, rather than maybe getting it more out of the way at the beginning. Like uncle is a foundation that we, that already exists, but now we are hiring you into it or something like that. That, that would have worked a little bit better for me, but I mean, it's not, that's a, it's a small nitpicky kind of thing. Uh, just, just for the record, I just looked it up. Uh, uncle stands for United Network Command for Law and Enforcement, at least in the original. So there you go. Right. Uh, and, and they revealed it at the end of the movie. Um, when they were shifting through the case files or whatever. Um, oh, did they? I, I must have missed that. 
Yeah, it was, I don't know if it was during the credits or right before the credits, but, uh, it was showing a, a case file and then there were words that were marked out. And, uh, each time you switch to a new one, it was each letter of the acronym. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. I missed that somehow. So, I mean, I know what it is now, but the whole time <laughs> I was watching the film, I had zero idea. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I, I have to mention, um, it's something you mentioned earlier, TJ, was the, the sort of split screen or, um, that kind of filmmaking mm-hmm. technique. Yeah. I, I didn't dislike it most of the time, but I thought there was one moment in particular that was kind of gratuitous. And that was when they were raiding the Island, uh, towards the end of the film. And I thought, wow, there was so much happening. They are changing panels so quickly. It's a little yes. weird. And it, it was just it almost was a like job. assaulting like on my eyes. were trying to cover way too much in a short period of time. Yeah, I would have I would have preferred to see those sequences without so many panels on the screen. Maybe two screens, maybe. But there were sometimes they were showing four or five clips at the same time of them taking control of this island. And it was just, I, I understood what they were going for. Yes, we don't need to watch the whole assault sequence because obviously they're going to do it and they're going to be successful. But it was just too much all at once. I wish they had not slowed it down, but just showed a little bit less. Mm. Okay. I have to agree. Uh, Right before that though, I wanted to go back to the torture scene. (laughs) That was a moment of awkward uh, that I wasn't expecting. (laughs) They definitely made it pay off, but I felt like this reminds me of that really creepy Nazi in Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Only he's not as creepy as that. It's just what he is doing is creepier than what that Nazi did in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So creepier uh, action from this, this creepy mad scientist sort of fellow the, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, he just got under your skin really fast. Um, and then the fact that he, he it just cracked me up that line that he was going to put a chronograph of Mr. Solo in his photo album, his, his memory book, that, that was too much because uh, <laughs> all the pictures were black and white up to this man. And then he was going to start using colored pictures for better detail of the torturous things he had done to their body parts. It was like, wow. And then I thought uh, more of Count Rugen from Princess Bride. Yeah, I see that too. Yeah. But then the way that his life ends, it was just, uh, it was just poetic. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, di- I didn't really see it coming. And then the way they did it was a little bit over the top, but it, it still worked. I, I took way too much pleasure in that. Pleasure scene. in seeing his Yeah, mood. it was great. Yeah. yeah I enjoyed that, was, that a lot. I, I was uncomfortable with myself. <laughs> uh Yes. All right. Well, the only other dislike I already mentioned that I didn't think that Army Hammer did a great job in this role. I didn't feel like he was very Russian. I didn't feel like he was very spy-like, um, and he was kind of meh. Um, the only other thing that I wish we could have seen is that Jared Harris uh, should have gotten more screen time because he's a great actor, <laughs> um, and I wish we would have seen more of him. That was really my only other complaint that I haven't already alluded to or mentioned. Right. And I will I like, say, hey, that- Moriarty. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say that I would have liked a little bit more of the villains, like I said earlier. And even though it feels like a fairly entertaining film, I just feel like a little bit, a little bit meh about a lot of it just Mm. as a whole, not, not either hot or cold. Maybe it was just because it was very familiar territory. And as a combination of things just reminded me of other films, it just didn't have the energy that I was expecting or hoping for. It felt more formulaic than, than really, uh, then you know, well, more, Joe, more we've so already established like. on this show that you have no soul. So, yes, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> mm. I have to go rethink my life. Yes, you should do that. All right, guys, 
this is it. Let's wrap up for the last time our our final thoughts and feelings on this film. What did you think, Chad? What what is your what is your rating? What do you what do you what is your final analysis? Okay, I was struggling when when I got home from the film last night. I was struggling. I thought, okay, is this a three star film? Is this a three and a half star film? And I looked back through my movie journal and all my thoughts on other movies, and I thought, you know, looking at other films that I've given three, looking at other films I've given three and a half, this is definitely more of a three and a half star film. I mm-hmm. think it's a lot of fun. I, I did enjoy most of the actors. I thought it was an enjoyable movie. The parts that took away from it for me is basically what the critics consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says. It's a lack of substance. Maybe it was taking a little bit too far, but I do feel like a lot of the stuff we saw was trying to distract from the fact that there was, they were, they were trying to put more into the story and more into the screen than there actually was. And um, some of that turned out for the positive and I enjoyed it. Some of it, I was like, okay, can we move on? Can we, can we focus on the story? And, um, so that's my thought process. Three and a half stars. Okay. Joe. I don't think that substance means the same thing to all of us, but I get what they're saying because I felt like it was just sort of empty sold throughout the film. Uh, it's interesting that you should say that about me, TJ, because I was feeling like (laughs) there was just not enough heart to the story. Uh, you know, like major, uh, difficulties are happening and, Everybody seems too cold and callous, a little bit too professional about everything. Everything seems objectified. So to the point that uh, when the bad guys get their comeuppance and there is a great big explosion, you have Solo just say, how's that for entertainment? And it was like, okay, (laughs) just a little bit creepy uh, in a sort of way. Like the only way you can get away with that is because we just watched you for two hours playing Mr. Suave. And we, we are told that you are a protagonist, even though you can be a rather corrupt fellow. And they, they they described that in different ways throughout the film. And it's sort of like, eh, his corruption doesn't really matter. It's because it's what makes him special. You know, like he can get away with that because he's so good at it. Okay. (laughs) So I feel like there was some, contradictions of values that Mm. just kind of sit it on a rocky road of, well, who can we really root for here guys? You know, well, I guess we're rooting for these people because they're the prettiest, (laughs) but they're also the funniest (laughs) and because they are stopping nuclear warheads. So thank you, Joe. Thank you. (laughs) Did you have a rating? Did I miss it? I'm going to give it three stars out of five. And I was saying, I was thinking to myself, that's really close to three and a half. Soulless. I think it might be the first time I'm really frustrated with the star system because I want to give it three and a half, but it's not quite there. So okay. I'm falling back to three. Yeah. I love this movie a lot. I enjoyed it more than I imagined I would when I went in to see it. Um, I enjoyed the guy richiness of it. Uh, I enjoyed uh, just the banter and the fun and interesting sequences. I felt uh, that it was lightweight and digestible. I enjoyed seeing Henry Cavill in a film that I could enjoy. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed nice. kind of the uh, some of the film noir stuff that was going on. I enjoyed the split screen and the, just the the I enjoyed the techniques that Guy Ritchie employed to make the film uh, to to kind of give it a little bit of a you know like I mentioned where he would do something and then go back and look at it closer and these oh that's how that's going to play out. So I enjoyed all that stuff and uh, I, I I really just I enjoyed my time with this film. So I'm going to give it four out of five stars. Mm. Okay. All right, so... Um, That's the, warranted. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critics are at 66%, and the uh, audience is at 80%. I wish the critics' ratings, approval ratings were a little higher, but, you know. Uh, and then uh, IMDb users rate it 7.6 out of 10. That is it for the Movie Bite podcast, guys. This is a bittersweet moment. 
We're here. It is. This is the end of the road. <sighs> well, it's been fun knowing you guys. Yeah, uh, we'll never see you again. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Good goodbye. <laughs> goodbye forever. <sighs> All right. One last time, Chad, where can people find you on the internet and the interesting things that you do? Okay. Currently, the best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. I am thinking of ways and things to do with my Chad Likes Movies website. It's not quite ready yet. So if you follow me on Twitter, you will know when it is. All right. And Joe, where will people keep up with you now that we're ending the show? Mm, okay. So please find me on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. And I have my other podcasts, which you can hear about from there and at topbrew.fm. That's the website. And tectonic.fm. That's the other one. And that's T E C H T O N I C. Dot FM. And they're both great podcasts, by the way. Oh, yeah. thank you, Chad. Very nice. You can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro. Uh, in addition, you can follow Movie Byte on Twitter. When we, uh, when we get ready to do the new show on the new network, we will tweet out from that account. I'll be watching for mentions and things and all the love that you're going to sh- send our way on Twitter as well. So uh, Movie Byte is the uh, Twitter account there, twitter.com slash moviebyte. You can also follow our new network uh, at Night Owl FM. Uh, and the website, when it is ready, it's not available yet, but when it is, it will be nightowl.fm. Uh, and uh, we're going to have all kinds of new shows and fun things going on on Night Owl, so that's going to be fun. The show notes for this episode are going to be at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 150. And that is a great link to share with your friends to let them hear the very last episode of Movie Byte and tell them how much you enjoyed it. By the way, if you got a t-shirt, uh, tweet your picture at Movie Byte. We'd love to see, it, see you in the t-shirt. If you don't feel comfortable putting your face on the internet, just uh, frame that frame that face out of there. We don't we don't want to see your ugly face. I mean, I mean your handsome faces. So. Uh, yeah, we'd love to see those. So um, thank you all so much for sticking with us for 150 episodes. We've enjoyed every last minute of it, and there is going to be much more to come. And guys, thank you so much for being here with me and doing the show with me, Chad. Thank you for filling in when Joe was dead and for taking the helm and, and doing great things with the show and making it so much better than it was before. And Joe, I thank you for starting a podcast with me, taking a chance and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll do a podcast with this TJ Draper guy. Who, who is he? <laughs> so <laughs> It's been a pleasure, TJ. I'm looking forward to doing it more with you in the near future. Perfect. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. All right. Goodbye. Ta-ta. Hey, that's my line. <laughs>